give it up for Brother Billy speaking out to us. That was Billy, right? That was Billy. <laughs> I've been awkward if it's not. Yeah. You know, Billy always had that soothing voice, you know, like when he speaks, you just feel like, mm, just got to listen. Got to listen. Hey, guys, we are in a new series called uh, The Transforming Power of Jesus. The Transforming Power of Jesus. We spent through a whole entire series talking about this picture of what it looks like to be a, a disciple of Jesus. Things that are not meant to be just suggestions, but the actual life of what a follower of Jesus would look like, right? And so this, uh, this coming series is to kind of piggyback off of that. And it's, it's not just about knowing what you're supposed to be doing, but actually going out with the power to do it, okay? It's not just about learning about something, but actually going out and engaging in it, knowing that you have been given this power by God through the Holy Spirit to actually make impact and transform this world. I want to start today off with a quick story. Um, last year, sometime during COVID, and, you know, random, and this is going to sound pretty random, I, I usually get, I, I get dreams of people, okay, uh, and in good ways, I get, I get dreams of people, and so I remember I was, uh, I was having a dream, and it was a friend that I haven't seen for 15 years, never talked to this person for 15 years, I haven't talked to him for a long time, I actually even forgot why we stopped talking, but I haven't talked to him for about 15 years, and also I got this dream, I was, uh, we're at this the whole family was at this um, this resort, the snow resort and winter resort, and you know we were just walking, having dinner, and then I was walking with my kids, and then this person showed up in my dream, and you know, and I was like, oh hey, it's been a minute, and then she was like, yeah, it's been a hot minute, right? And I was like, these are my kids, you know, this is my family, and then I was like, hey, and I, you know, I do the typical question, I haven't seen someone for a long time, it's like, how are you? Are you happy? Right? You know, just pastoral question, and and you know, in in the dream, she started crying, like really crying. And then she said, I got to go, but come find me. And I woke up, right? And I was like, hmm, should I? Right? I was like, oh, I don't know. Right? So I was sitting there, but I was, I, was, I was in bed for a long time because it was such a very vivid and very emotional connection. So I, I was like, all right, let me just see if I still have their number. So I flipped through it, and I was like, I do. So I was like, all right, give it a call, right? And then number was not working anymore. I was like, okay, well, I tried, God. Sorry, right? So I hung up the phone, then thinking about it for another day or two, right? And then... I had the exact same dream, okay? So I said, all right, well, how am I going to find them? Right? So I, I, this is when I learned, do not put your stuff on the internet, okay? People can actually find you. So I was like, I was looking at some stuff. I was like, you know, she has a very unique name. So I was like, all right, let me just find that. And then I found out where she used to live, and that connected to this real estate thing, and that connected to where she used to work, and that connected to, uh, eventually, I found out where she's working now, right? I was like, hmm, should I call, right? And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's kind of, kind of weird. Like, what am I going to say? So I sat there for a little bit. And then finally, you know, it was just nudging on my heart. I said, all right, I'll call. So I picked up my call. And I said, hey. And he was like, I said, is so-and-so there? And they're like, yeah, this is, this is she. I was like, hey, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of weird, but it's Tony. And then she's like, what? It's been a minute. And I was like, yeah, it's been a hot minute, right? It's been a while. And, I, and she's like, what? how'd you get my number? I was like, it's going to sound really weird. But I, I looked you up and I found you. She's like, wow, okay. Well, how are you? And I, you know, chit-chat and stuff like that. And then eventually I said, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something really random. You know I'm a pastor. And so I'm going to say something really random. And don't take anything uh, by it. I just want to ask, how are you doing? Like, for reals? Uh, I had this dream of you. And yeah. And then she was like, you had a dream? I was like, I know, right? It's 15 years. I just randomly. And she said, you know, it's, 
I'm going through a divorce. I was like, oh. It's like, are you okay? He's like, no, I'm not okay. I'm like, oh, well, you want to talk about it? <laughs> right? So, so we talked about it. And you know, one of the things that she kept saying was, you know, I, I, I built this whole life on a reality of, of, of relationship and money and job. And at this point in my age, because she's my age, she's like, I feel like I've, I've really wasted my life. You know, this whole life that I've dedicated to this and that, and now it's gone. Like, what is, I feel like, I feel like she said, I feel like there's something more to life, but at this point I can't see it. And I looked at her, and I might look at her, I called her, I was like, hey, let me tell you what I believe. I know you know what I believe, but let me just say it again, because in case you forgot. And I just shared with her, I shared with her that, you know, we live in a life that, the fact that you believe, that you sense that there's something more to life, right, probably means that there is, okay? Because uh, I read this quote. I read this quote. It goes like this. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfactions for those desires exist, okay? A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water, Men and women feel sexual desires. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another. Right? And I shared that with her, and she said, you really think so? I said, I, I know so, actually. And we hung up, I prayed for her, hung up the phone, I haven't talked to her since, but what I'm pointing the story is, right? I really believe that God has power. And he has power to transform the world around us. Today, we're going to go into a series of just Jesus doing miraculous things in the Scripture. And oftentimes, when we get to the area of Scripture where we see these supernatural things happening, we kind of, kind of, we kind of cut ourselves off from it because we think like it's supernatural. It's not reality. This is the fable and the fairy tale part of the Bible, and therefore, I should just dismiss it. But I'm, I'm, I'm here to share with you today that the miracles done in Scripture is not a break in the natural way of the world. The miracle done in Scripture, you know what it is? It's Jesus saying this is how the world was meant to be. When Jesus does a miracle, it's not just to show that he has power. When he did a miracle, it was to show that this is how it's supposed to be. We wouldn't... The Bible tells us that we were never made to be in the world. We were made to be in the world without sickness, without death, without disease, without hunger. Jesus came to redeem what is wrong and to heal the world of its brokenness. And so his miracles are not just proofs of his power, but they are also this wonderful foretaste of what he's going to use that power for. Right? Jesus has this power, and he's not just going to use it to kind of show off to people. He's using this power in the scripture as recorded to show the world, this is what I am going to use my power for. It is to fulfill and to bring back what is natural. The fact that you are dying, the fact that you are hungry and diseased and broken, that is not the way I have made the world to be. That is unnatural. Jesus stepping into this is to show us what is natural. And that's what the miracles are here for, right? And so I want to, I want to share with you guys uh, this picture of the miracles of healing. He does three healings in what we're, we're about to read. And each of these healings, he's, it's a revelation about who he is. It's going to show us something unique and distinct about Jesus and what he's planning to do, 
Okay? So as we're reading about these miracles, if you're in that place when you're thinking like, oh, miracles can't exist, I want you to kind of suspend that belief for a second. And actually, you shouldn't. If you, are, if you actually believe there's a God, right? If you believe there's a God, miracles can happen. The hardest thing to do, the most contradictory thing to do is say, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe in miracles. That is the most contradictory thing you can possibly do. If there is a God, miracles can happen. Right? What I'm trying to share with you today is... Jesus didn't have this power for the sake of just showing off. He uses this power as a way of showing you what's to come. It's a promise to your heart to say, hey, this is how it's meant to be. So if you're out there for the next few seasons, if you find yourself lost, if you find yourself in this kind of search thinking like, you know what, I feel like my life should have greater meaning and purpose than this. I put my life and purpose in my work, in my job, in my relationship, in my friends, in my hobbies, in the things I do. I place all these purpose and realities in these things and yet they have not satisfied me. What does that mean? That means that you weren't meant for this. And I think a lot of us understand this process, right? We chase some of us who are older can give wisdom to those who are younger, right? The young ones, we believe that we can chase forever. And as long as we just get that thing, we're good. As long as we can catch it, just get that promotion, get that job, get that relationship, get that child, have a family, everything will be good. But those who are a little bit wiser and older know that once you get that, it's never enough because it's never fully satisfying. And what Jesus is trying to share with, share with us today is this. I'm going to share with you the miracles of healing and what it means, what those miracles actually mean in reality. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Oh, 1 through 4 first. We're going to go all the way to 16, but we're going to do 1 through 4 first. The first healing right after the Sermon on the Mount was the, the healing of a man with leprosy. Okay. In this healing, what we learn about this healing, the miracle of this healing shows us the reality of who Jesus is. Okay, this healing was to open our eyes to see the reality of who Jesus is in our life. Okay, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, let me read it to you guys. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and, the other, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay? The first healing here was a man of leprosy. This is a skin disease. It's not just some random skin disease. It's a skin disease that kills all of the nerve systems where you can't feel or uh, feel touch or any type of sens uh, sensation. Therefore, if you get hurt or, broke, or your hands get broken, you won't know, and your body eventually rots away because of you not knowing that you've been hurt. Okay? And this, this leprosy is contagious. This leprosy is dangerous, and this leprosy eventually kills people. And so people back then, if you had leprosy, you were cast out into like the outer, of the, the outer courts or the outer areas of the, the city. You were not allowed to be close to people. If someone's to approach you, you're supposed to scream out, unclean, unclean, so that they know not to approach you. Okay? To be a person who had leprosy was a very, very lonely life. And so Jesus comes and he heals this man of leprosy. 
He heals this man of leprosy, which is already fantastic, but he says this about, about uh, afterwards. He says, go and give yourself to the priest, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift of Moses commanded as a testimony to him. You know why he said that? Okay. In the Old Testament, there's two chapters in the Old Testament for priests to do to verify if someone's been cleansed of leprosy. Two chapters, okay? You literally have to like, it's the, the, the whole process is very uh, meticulous. You got to shave your eyebrows, shave every single piece of hair on your body. Shave, everything's completely shaved. You go wash yourself. The priest will check you and then you go wash yourself again. And then seven more days, right? You check it and after seven days, everything is done. Then you will be declared that you are no longer, you, have no, you, you no longer have leprosy. Okay, that was the cleansing ceremony that you're supposed to go through, Leviticus 12 and 13. Now, out of the many hundreds of years of rabbi school, how many times do you guys think they did this ceremony? Zero times. In the middle of rabbi school, they'd be saying, hey, this is Leviticus 12 and 13, yeah. Just in case someone comes to you and says they have leprosy and they can be cleansed of it, just this is your procedure. But they have never done it. They have never performed this act, Right? The only time, because if they did perform the act, if they did perform the act, the Jewish priest would know something very unique. Something powerful has come to earth again. God has returned to earth again. Because in the Old Testament, only two times have you been healed of leprosy, recorded. One was, Abraham, oh no, one was Aaron and Miriam, and the other one was a, it was a, pre, or was a general called Nahum. Right? Only two times. In scripture, it was leprosy cleansed. And both times, it was cleansed by the power of God. God's presence was there to cleanse it. And so, check this out. You know why Jesus told us got to go back to the priest? He said, go back to the priest, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you to do. And when they have verified that you are clean, it will be a sign to them that God has come to earth. The first healing was this revelation and the reality of who Jesus is. He was trying to use this leopard man to tell the high priest at those times, God has come. I am he. I have returned. So come and listen. Come and listen to what I have to say to you. This is the reality. Your God that you have been waiting for has come. Do you know what this miracle tells to us today? This miracle tells you this question. Do you know of the reality of God in your life? What evidence do I have of God's reality in my life? Some of us were waiting for like big signs, you know, for miraculous healings, personal life. Some of us are, you know, sitting here and thinking like, you know, I'll just go through the motion of communion. If I'm around with enough church people, I'm pretty sure God is here with me. But the real question you have to ask is this. Do you have an understanding of what Jesus Christ has done. His death and his resurrection. Do you believe in that? Because that is the evidence that he has given to you that says, I am who I am. If you are going to be an honest seeker of Christianity, you have to ask that question first. Is Jesus who he really says he is? Is the resurrection really true? Not to come into Christianity asking the question, well, did Jesus really say this? Well, I don't agree with what Jesus said in this area. I don't agree with what Jesus said in that area. That's not the point. If Jesus is who he says he is, then everything he says has a reason, has a purpose, has a direction. If Jesus is who he says he is, 
then everything that you think you worry about, that you stress about, that you are constantly fighting about, that takes the back end of it. What's most important is have you made an actual decision about, informed decision about who Jesus is to you. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not a religion. Anyone who treats it as a religion, that's why they're going to die for it, right? Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know how I know you have a relationship with Jesus or not? Let me tell you this. How many of you guys make appointments with people on your calendar? You guys set appointments, date, time. Yeah, right? You set a date, you set a time, you set a place, right? How many of you guys make appointments with people you don't like? Yeah, right? I'm not going to raise my hand, right? But, you know, you make appointments with people talk to you don't like. But how many, of you have, how many of you guys actually make an appointment with Jesus to meet with him? Actually set a time and a place, right? How many times do you guys do that? Because the reason why you don't do that, because you never see Jesus as a person to make an actual relationship conversation with. You see Jesus as an ideal, a concept, or a religion to follow. See, a relationship, relationship entails that you recognize that the person you were connected to is an actual person. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? The first miracle that we see here is very simple. Is Jesus declaring, I am, I am who you say I am. I am the God you've been waiting for. I am the living God. Do you have a relationship or reality of Christ in your life? If you don't, it's fine. No one's, no, one's, no one's mad at you, right? But the question is, have you made an informed decision about it? Have you actually sat down and think about it? Have you actually sat down and looked it up? Have you actually sat down, walked through it? Have you taken your logical decision and played it out? Do you find yourself living in consistency or you find yourself living all over the place trying to search for meaning in life? Do you have an actual relationship with Jesus? The first miracle is to show us the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is the living God. And don't tell me that I have a relationship with Jesus when it's that hard for you to make an appointment with him. You make an appointment with a person that you know. You make an appointment with a person you don't even like. And if you declare that I know the reality of my king and I don't even have an appointment with him in my daily life, do you really know the reality of your king? Second thing that the miracles show us here. Look at the second part. It's the faith of the centurion, verses 5 to 13. The miracle of the healing shows us the reality of Jesus, but the miracle of healing also shows us the love of Jesus. Verse 5 to 13, this is a story about the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, this is where the city where he does most of his work, a centurion came to him asking for help. A centurion is a soldier who's in charge of a hundred other soldiers, okay? And he said, Lord, he calls him Lord, by the way. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. So off the bat, you know that the centurion recognizes Jesus as someone beyond just a mere man. There's something important, something unique, something distinct, something sacred, something holy about Jesus that he would actually call him Lord, you see, when you call someone Lord of your life, do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I surrender my will to you because you are Lord and I am servant. 
Servant means I surrender this will to you. Not that I command my will to you, but that you tell me and I will do. That's what he says. He, he sends Jesus as Lord. He said, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be no weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very hour. Okay. The second thing we see that the miracles of healing was trying to show us. Remember, these healings were not just some kind of like, you know, um, um, uh, magic trick that was kind of like put on display. These healings were done very uniquely, very distinctly, very specifically. The first healing was to show I am God. The reality of my position, my place. And if I am God, then where is the worship that is due to me? If I am God, where is the lordship that is due to me? If I am God, where is the obedience that is due to me? But here's the second thing. The miracle of the healing shows us Jesus' love. Did you ever wonder, like, if you did not know the, the, the context behind this, Jews and Romans, they don't get along, okay? Jews, they don't get along with Romans because the Romans occupied Jewish territory. Romans guards were there to make sure they keep the peace and make sure the Jewish people pay their taxes and stay in line. Jews do not like Rome. They have no connection with Rome. And yet, for some reason, this centurion, you know, who's pretty cool to this place, I guess, came up. And said, Jesus, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering. And what Jesus' response to him was, I will go and heal him. Not tell me about him or like, hey, bring, at least bring him to me. Or like, who do you think I am busy? Jesus, I will go to him right away. Do you know why? First thing, the word servant here is the word paeus in, in Greek. Right? It means small boy. So the centurion wasn't talking about some sort of slave here. He was talking about a young boy. And for a centurion... A Roman soldier, you weren't allowed to be married back then. You know that? You weren't, you weren't allowed to be married until your 25 years of service was up. Then you can go back and get married and have children and have lives. So they fought, they, they, they fought to survive because they fought to pass on their lineage. Because the only way you can pass on your lineage is if you survive the war, survive the fight, survive your, your, your tour of duty, and then go back and actually get married. So he didn't have a wife, but he had this little boy, which meant what? The centurion slept with some slave girl. Right, and had this baby. He's a servant. Can't be seen as a legitimate heir. But he's a boy. And the centurion loved this kid. And Jesus said, I will go heal him. It's a boy, paralyzed. He goes and he, he, Jesus healed a kid from a man who committed adultery. Doesn't believe, or actually does believe, right, who he is, but commits adultery. Lives in sin. And yet he was willing to heal this boy. You know what that tells you? It tells you this. If ever in your mind, as a Christian or as a believer, that you got into your brain, that you got to be perfect and pure for God to some sort of bless and walk with you, 
you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong faith. Right? This is a relationship. In a relationship, if your person with you is not, is, is not perfect with you, are you going to leave them and walk out from them? If they mess up, will you just give up on them? If you actually love them? Right? See, Jesus, when he deals with humanity, he deals with humanity as in a relationship. I love you in spite of what you have done. I am for you in spite of the choices you have made. I don't love you more or love you less by what, how much you do for me or how much you do against me. I know that across the board, nobody can measure up to perfection. So whether you are the most religious, pious Christian in the church or you're the biggest heathen pagan outside the church, Jesus said, what? I died for both of you. I died for both of you. And so how, listen, listen how crazy is it? How crazy is it then for God's people to start categorizing, right, between who's in, who's out? How crazy is it for God's people to start feeling superior versus inferior? But we do it all the time. Look what Jesus says here. He says, he gives, a, he gives a prophetic message right after this. He said, man, look at this man's faith. I tell you the truth. And he gives a millennial prophet, uh, pro prophecy, which is in the future. He says, there will be a day. Men will come from the east. Men will come from the west and sit at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we will dine and feast together. But the very people who were supposed to be mine, the very people who said that they know me, the very people who said that they worship me, those people will be cast out. Do you know why? Because they never really believed in me. They gave me lip service and faith, but they never lived as if I am their Lord. See, this centurion understood that Jesus was Lord, right? Because centurion, his power was just in the city. Over 100 men. That's it. That's all he had. And he knew that even with that, he can get these men to do whatever they want. If he calls them to come to attention, they will come to attention. And yet Jesus, he says, if you say the word, my servant can be healed. He recognized that Jesus is Lord and authority over all things. Over all things in all places. A Gentile, a heathen, a pagan a non-Jewish person, someone who, is, who will be easily categorized as unclean, as outsider, as unworthy by all the Jewish leaders. And yet Jesus says, this man, this man has shown me greater faith than those who sit in the pews of the church. How ridiculous then, church, is it that when we talk about I know that Jesus loved me, and yet me, myself, can't choose to love another person. When you begin to categorize them as richer or poorer, better looking, not so good looking, right? Made it in life, has not made it in life. Higher in the corporate ladder, lower in the corporate ladder. How ridiculous is it that you begin to feel inferior if you step into a room with somebody who is, you know, quote unquote, looking, off, like, looking like they're better off than you. But how also ridiculous is it when you walk into a room thinking that you are somehow superior to somebody else? See, Jesus Christ says, in me, we're all in the same area. I love everyone equally. 
And if that's my attitude towards the world, why is your attitude towards the world different? If my attitude towards even a Gentile Roman soldier is to love, then why is your attitude towards someone you don't get along with is to push them away, to isolate, to make fun, to tease? How often do we point fingers and judge? How often do we think that someone is dumb because they haven't read enough books, don't understand things well enough, isn't woke enough? How often do we begin to feel superior because you're religious, because you show up to church more often than they did? That shouldn't be a place where you feel superior. That should be a place where you just feel love and say, you know what, something's going on in their life. Let me go find them. Let me go check on them. Let me go see how they're doing. But all of a sudden, so-and-so haven't shown all. They just showed up one time. (laughs) Yeah, great. The second healing was to show the love of Jesus. That's power. So here's my thing, guys. And And I've shared this so many times. In our church, the one thing we believe above all else is there's no such thing as a lost cause. You're only lost when you take your last breath. No one can help you then. But until they take their last breath, everyone, everyone deserves to be fought for. And as a Christian, when you begin to categorize people, you have missed the mark of your God's heart. You have missed the mark of your God's intention and desires. You follow me? Right? What do these miracles of healing tell us? It tells us that Jesus is king. And so you got to do a gut check. If Jesus is the reality of Jesus, that he is God, he is Lord, and he is king, then the question you have to ask yourself is where is the worship that is due to him in my life? How can I possibly say he is king of my life and yet spend no time with him? How can I possibly say that he is Lord of my life and yet my will is not bent to his? Is he truly king of your life? But the second thing you learn is this. The miracle of the healing tells us the love of Jesus. He doesn't love you because you show up to church. He doesn't love you because you do more Christianese things. He doesn't love you, or he doesn't hate you simply because you're on the streets, you're doing your own crazy stuff. He, lo- he knows that we're all sinners in need of grace. Until you in your life can see that, until you in your life can recognize you have been running and chasing after all these things that you think would give you meaning and purpose, and yet they have left you empty and dry over and over and over again. And you have this foolish intention or desire that if I can just jump to the next thing, I can find some sort of satisfaction there. If I can just jump to the next relationship, then I'll finally get it right. If I can just forget about this, I'll probably get a better, um, if I can just get my health together, things will probably get better for me. Right? And in the, in the youth group, I, one of the kids, I, I do a Q&A session with them all the time. And one of the questions they asked me, I said, you can ask any question you want. It doesn't really matter. I say, I just broke up with a girlfriend. How do I cope? Right? 
I'm like, all right. I didn't know who was dating, but I was like, all right, I'll answer this question. You know, you can cope the way the world copes, or you can cope the way uh, God wants you to cope. The world copes like this. You are, you're hurt, your girlfriend broke up with you. Yes? Yes. You're hurt because she took away something from you. She took away your worth. She took away your value. She took away your dignity. She made you feel small for whatever reason. And she said you weren't good enough pretty much. Right? And so the natural way everyone in humanity seeks to fulfill that is to do what? I got to do something that will make me feel big again. Either I can date another girl or I'll start working out because if I'm big and strong, then I have worth and value. Or I get my career together. Maybe she left me because I was a husband, wasn't doing anything, so I should get a job. So if I get that, things will get great. So you begin to fill your life with worth and value over these materialistic things, and guess what's going to happen? Those are just, again, temporary things that will disappear. And when they disappear, your worth and your value will go with it. You guys get that? Or you can cope with it the way Christ wants you to cope with it. You know which way that is? Know your identity. Know your worth in him. Know that in spite of who you are, he loves you nonetheless. See, the only reason why you would, you would give your life, your energy, your heart is because you want something to treasure, right? You want to treasure something. You want to treasure your worth. You want to be treasured. You, you would give your energy, your life, your heart, your time, your very existence to get something that, could, that you would make you feel treasured. Jesus gave his life. Why? Because you were his treasure. You were his treasure. And he gave his life for you. And until you understand your worth and your value, you're going to be chasing over and over. Until you understand how incredibly loved you are. How incredibly messed up you are, and yet how incredibly loved in spite of that you are. Until you grasp that, you will never see the reality of your king. Okay? The miracles, what do they teach us? They teach us the reality of who Jesus is. They teach us the love of Jesus. And here's the third thing. Okay? The last one. And technically, I could have made one message with each of these healings, but Pastor Lynn wants me to do all three, so we're going to do all three as fast as This is overall, okay? <laughs> you can, if I went deeper, it would have been even crazier. But anyways, overall, here's the third part. Verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. Notice that, right? Notice that after Peter's mother-in-law was healed, she didn't just sit around and be like, oh, that was nice. Cool, right? She was blessed to be a blessing. You see that? She was blessed by God to be a blessing. How many times you guys are blessed by God and you just sit there and say, give me some more? And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our disease. Okay? What did Jesus do? What was the third part? What does the, the healing miracles tell us for the third thing? It tells us the mission of Jesus. First, it tells us the reality of who he is. Second, it tells us the love of Jesus. And thirdly, it tells, him, tells us his mission. His mission was to bring restoration. His mission was not just to display his power to the world. His mission was to show the world of the promise that he has for you. 
You think it is natural to be sick and dying? You think that Jesus doesn't pain and hurt when he sees family members dying over cancer, going through situations that are horrible, going through storms in their life? You don't think Jesus understands that? He understands it. And he says, that's not how it's supposed to be. My power, my display of it is to show you this is how it is meant to be. You are meant to have life. You are meant to be restored. I'm giving you a foretaste of it. I'm giving you a beginning taste of it. This is how it's going to be. You know what that means for us? You know what that means for us? It means this. That if you are a follower of Jesus, his mission was to show the world what's to come. Guess what your mission is? It's the same thing. Your mission is to do the exact same thing in your workplaces, in your school, in your families. You, do you think that God is happy when he sees a family broken? Do you think he is pleased when fathers divorce their mothers or mothers divorce their fathers? Do you think that he is pleased when there is brokenness in the home? Children growing up in a divided household? He is saying, I want you to go in there and bring restoration to this picture of what family is. Do not think it normal to be in a relationship and just walk away from that relationship just because you don't feel it anymore. That is not normal. That is broken. Restoration is saying, through this family, I can bring healing. That means that the father, the mother work in unison to raise up a spiritual legacy and not just to seek for a good weekend. It means that if you are ever to imagine yourself as a father or as a mother, it is not meant for you just to meander through the world trying to just simply provide a home, which is important, give them money, which is sort of important, right? But what you're trying to do is to create a spiritual legacy for your family and their family, and their family. This is the restoration of family. How about the restoration of work? Do you think your main job is to make a six-figure salary? Do you know that our mission in life is to restore God's image to, everyone's, to everyone we meet? The image of God into everyone, the, the driving mechanism of our life is to restore the image of God in everyone's life. That means when you go to a new place, you check it out. How is their moral life? How is their physical life? How is their intellectual life? All these things restored to Christ. When we go off to the mission field, like outside the third world country, you know, I never go in there with guns blazing preaching the gospel and giving them like, you know, this, this 10 point reason why you should believe in Jesus. You know that? You know why? Because they need to eat. That's probably the first thing they need to be restored is their health. As you restore their health, you restore their morality, you restore intellectual mindset, their heart, their body, their will. You bring into, wherever you go, you seek to bring restoration there. Let's say, for example, right, um, Pastor Tim Keller from uh, Redeemer Church. You know, when you open that church up in New York, okay, it's a huge church, right? Um, he didn't go there to restore their physicalness, right? Because why? It's New York. Everyone's well-fed, okay? They're well-off, mostly. He, he went there to do what? He went to that place and he realized 
They're very intellectual. They're very intellectual. But they're being driven by a different moral standard. So he spent the first 10 years of his ministry answering questions. After the sermon, he said, I'm going to be here. Come up and answer. He basically answered so many questions that eventually people just said, I have no more questions. I'm just going to follow Jesus now. Right? That, that's pretty much all it is. Like I had, intellectually, he was able to connect with them in a way that was not just verbal Christianese, but he spoke with them on a level that they understood and intellectually drove them to a conclusion where Jesus is. Some places, you go out to the brothels, you go out to moral, moral brokenness. So what do you do? Right? If you ever done a baptism class with me, I always, oh, it was baptism, yeah, baptism class with me, I always show this, uh, this uh, video of a young lady who was once a, a prostitute, her testimony. Do you know what her ministry is now? It's not to go off and just, you know, do a Bible study for random small groups. But she went back to the very streets that she used to sell her bodies for, and she reached these girls. Very simply, she does what? She just gives them condoms, contraceptives, tells them God loves them. If ever they need help, give her a call. She comes out there every week. She saves some, some respect her and love her. But they know they can count on her. But she's there to restore what? Restore their moral identity. Their moral heart. Do you know what your mission is? Jesus has come to give you a foretaste in his miracle that this is what it's meant to be. You as followers and believers, we are meant to go out there and to give a foretaste of this world. We're not meant to live in a world that's brokenness. LA is not meant to have that much mental illness and homelessness. We're not meant to be in a place where there's that much sickness. People should not live in poverty. Children should not go hungry. We have enough food to feed the world 10 times over. Your job as a believer is to bring that restoration. Does that make sense? That's what the healing means. Okay? So here's my thing. Live with... I've known so many people in their life who have basically dedicated their life to live without mission, to live without purpose, to live without any end beyond their own happiness. Live a life with eternal impact. Yes, you can. I'm not telling you to change the world in a federal way. I'm not even trying to tell you to change the world in a whole global way. Just change your neighbor's life. Start there. Change the life of the coworker that you work with. Start there. Change the life of a student that you, your colleague that you're with. Start there. Start there. Sometimes we get so caught up in this huge big picture. I need to save the world, but you can't even speak to your neighbor. Sometimes you get caught up in this whole picture. I need to feed the homeless. What about that dude next to your street that you get off the freeway every day and you see? Sometimes you complain about why things are going so bad in the social justice department of life. Start with your workplace. Start with your community. Start somewhere. What do these miracles tell us? The power that Jesus exhibits in each of these miracles is one, to show you the reality of who he is. Do you know him? 
If he is king, where is the worship due to him? If he is Lord, where is the will and the obedience that's due to him? It's meant to tell us the love. You talk about love. We talk about, in, in the Western culture, we love love. And yet we categorize people across the board, in or out, woke or unwoke, loving, unloving, superior, inferior. And yet we forget that what? You were a lost cause that Jesus had to save. You ain't that great. And thirdly, the miracles tells us the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus. He came to show restoration. That's your mission. Bring restoration. Have a life with purpose and mission. Bring restoration to wherever you go. I'm not telling you to put John 3.16, if you own a company, on your company's label. I'm telling you that if you do own a company, have that company do something that's going to bring restoration to a life somewhere out there. I'm not telling you that everything you post has to have, like, a Bible verse in it. But I am telling you that if you're going to do something that's going to bring attention to something, do it where it's actually going to bring healing and bring action towards it. And like I said before, the Christian life is not just about talk. It's about power and action. If you're passionate about something, if God has convicted you about something, if God has shown you that this is where he has put your heart to do, to bring some change, come and talk to me. If it's, if it's there, we will, we will put the whole power of the church behind you to go and do it. Because I don't have that same conviction. Right? My conviction is to preach the gospel and to equip you guys to do the work of ministry. But if he is individually giving you a conviction to deal with homelessness, to deal with sex trafficking, to deal with brokenness, to deal with family, if he's giving you that conviction, then let's talk about it. Let's do something about it. Let's take a step into it. Come talk to me. Come talk to our leaders. We can start small. And see where God opens his door for, right? But the worst thing you can do is just talk. Have nothing happen. Live with mission, live with purpose, church. Let's pray.